Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the, blow, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these people who are speaking Galileans, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents from Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, and even Asia. There's people from Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya. There's Jews and converts from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declare the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. (laughs) (laughs) Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ladies, what did you bring with you to church in your handbags this morning? Contents of ladies' handbags were a source of absolute fascination to us men. I remember chatting to a 90-year-old lady in London. She said to me, I never carry anything of value in my bag, she said. I always carry a brick in it. (laughs) On the basis that either it was a weapon, or if someone did manage to get her bag off her, they wouldn't find anything of value in it whatsoever. (laughs) Survey on Yahoo once asked ladies what the average contents of their bag were, and this was the favourite answer by Levy. About 50% of what's in my purse is trash. Actual trash. Used tickets, paper tissues, chocolates, stuff I didn't throw out at the moment because there was no trash bin around, but still have to throw out because I'm too busy to go through my purse. Other than that, my college books, pens, three calculators. Don't ask why, one of them doesn't even work. The other magically appeared in my purse, and the third one I bought not knowing I'd already stolen one. <laughs> my house keys, cell phone, a, month old, a two-month-old bag of cookies, my wallet, my pen case... And then some random stuff thrown around, like coins and pens and pencils. Ladies, why do you carry so much rubbish in your bags? Yet those of us men who are married will have to confess that there are times when we've been relieved and grateful when our better halves just happen to have what we need in their bag just when we need it. Many women admit that for better or worse they carry their lives in their bags. 
And if we are what we carry with us, then our lives, our hearts and our minds could be as cluttered as our bags, full of a mixture of things that are vital, useful, out of date or rubbish that really we should have thrown away a long time ago. We can carry this stuff not just in our bags, but in our hearts and in our minds as well. When you came to church this morning, what did you bring in your heart? What did you bring with you in your mind? Sometimes we need to clear the decks to give something really important to our 100% attention, but often our thoughts and our feelings, our memories and our worries churn round and round inside us like dirty laundry on a slow wash. Today's the day of Pentecost. And on God's heart today is his desire to fill us with his spirit, as he did those first disciples when the Holy Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And they were so filled to overflowing with the spirit of God that when they spoke they found themselves proclaiming how fantastic God was in languages that weren't their own but were immediately understood by people from 15 different regions of the known world. The God who could not be contained was filling their hearts and their minds. And the effect was so startling that on because wondered if they'd had too much to drink, even though it was only nine in the morning. Now we could get sidetracked into considering the effects that being filled with the Spirit of God might have. And people might have legitimate questions about how exactly the gift of tongues worked that day in such a way that everybody could understand what was being said in their own language. Or pondering what kind of exuberant behaviour it was that made people wonder if they were drunk. But that really leads us down a blind alley. On that occasion, this is what happened when those people were filled with the Holy Spirit. On other occasions, different things happened to different people. Our focus should not be so much on the signs of being filled with the Spirit as on the Spirit of God who fills us. And to be filled with the Spirit is like God tipping out the contents of the cluttered handbags of our minds and our hearts giving them a good shake and filling them with his presence. Believe it or not, that is God's greatest desire for each and every one of us, for our bodies to be temples of the Holy Spirit, filled to overflowing with his glory. So that as we speak to each other and as we make contact with each other, the lives of those around us are blessed by the Spirit of God within us. It becomes a contagious holiness. And this is a revolution in terms of the way in which God deals with people. Prior to this, holiness was about separation, about exclusion from the presence of the Holy God. Only the high priest was allowed into the innermost sanctuary of the temple once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then only once he'd made atonement for his sin and the sins of the nation by the sacrificial offering of a bull and a goat. The holiness of God was so powerful and dangerous, it was like living next door to an unstable nuclear reactor. And yet suddenly on the day of Pentecost, all that changes. God's holiness is not confined within the temple to the Holy of Holies. It's poured out indiscriminately on people. And the tongues of fire do not come to consume them in his anger, but instead anoint them with power to declare his praises. What has happened? Why is everything so different now? The answer is atonement. A word first found in the English language 500 years ago and used by Wyndham Tyndale in his 1526 translation of the Bible. Atonement, if you pick the word apart, literally means at one meant. The means by which it is possible for sinful, impure people to be safe in the presence of a holy God. The way in which the door is opened for a holy God to live in the hearts of people who have been sinful and impure. 
And that is what Jesus has done for us. He has made us one with God. Becoming one with us by sharing our flesh and blood and humanity. Dealing with his sin. Dealing with our sin by his death on the cross. And the reason we no longer need to be protected from God's holiness by a total exclusion zone is that Christ has dealt with the contamination of our sin. It means that God's holiness no longer needs to be restricted to one inaccessible place in the depths of an ornate temple. We, each and every single one of us, can become the temple of the living God. And he can make his home in our hearts and our minds, filling us to overflowing with his spirit, his presence and his goodness. Coming of the the spirit is like a jet of water being directed at the chip pan fire of God's holiness and scattering it everywhere. And Luke makes it clear that God's gift of his spirit is for everybody. There, is, there are no barriers, no one is excluded. Nations from the four corners of the known world were represented to hear the message that God had poured out his spirit on all flesh, on everyone without distinction, men and women, young and old alike. It didn't matter what social standing you are, whether you're slave or free, upper class or working class, because we are all servants of the living God. That was what in God's, this was what was in God's heart when he made us in the first place. That we should be filled with the presence of God. As the Westminster Confession puts it so well, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Because God's heart is full of love for you, his greatest desire is to fill your heart with that love as well. The language of being filled suggests an intense experience of limited duration. There are times when it feels as if God simply floods our lives with his presence. But we can't sustain living on a spiritual high like that indefinitely. To attempt to do so can result in a dangerous and misguided search for the next intense emotional experience. We end up looking for the feelings themselves rather than the reality of the fullness of God's spirit within us. And that's what it's really all about. Yet it is God's desire that all of us should be constantly full of his spirit, gently brimming over all the time so that God touches the lives of others through us. That's why I asked Chomler in his presentation this morning to focus on the way in which God enlists all kinds of different people in his purposes because that is what the Spirit does. He equips us to serve God and make a difference for him in God's world. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's the Spirit who makes that a reality, first and foremost in our own hearts and minds and then through us, in the lives of the people that we meet and the situations we encounter. This is God's will and God's desire for each of us. really doesn't matter how old or young you are, how clever, how uneducated, how good or bad you may have been, whether you're full of confidence or have a really negative self-image. Each and every one of us is made in the image of God. No rejects. And so it is God's desire to fill that image with the reality of his presence, so that we carry God within us into his world, filling us that we might serve others and be channels of his grace. It's now the middle of May. Despite the fact that some parts of the country had snow last week, spring is definitely in the air sometimes. How many of you have engaged in a bit of spring cleaning in these past few weeks? Clearing stuff out making everything fresh and clean and right. Sometimes God wants to give a good spring clean to our hearts and minds, to empty out the clutter and fill us with the only thing that matters. 
his spirit who equips us to love and serve him and each other. So I'm going to ask at the end of this sermon just that we take a moment of quiet to tip out the contents of our heart before God in silent prayer and ask him to clear the rubbish away and I will lead us in prayer asking him to fill us with his spirit. And then as we share communion together we will celebrate Jesus whose death puts us right with God, makes us one with God. We'll remember that as we eat the bread and drink the wine. But more than that, we are one with him as we eat the bread and drink the wine. Because in eating and drinking, we receive nothing less than Christ himself. God for us. God with us. Today and for eternity. So if you brought rubbish with you to church this morning, in your heart and in your mind, fear, guilt, anxiety, stress, things that you want to leave behind, take a moment and just ask God to rummage through and take out the stuff that shouldn't be there. That's what Jesus came to do. Spend a moment in quiet prayer. Prayer of St Augustine. Behold, Lord, an empty vessel that needs to be filled. My Lord, fill it. I am weak in the faith. Strengthen me. I am cold in love. Warm me and make me fervent that my love may go out to my neighbour. I do not have a strong and firm faith. At times I doubt and am unable to trust you altogether. Oh Lord, help me. Strengthen my faith and trust in you. In you I have sealed the treasure of all I have. I am poor. You are rich and came to be merciful to the poor. I am a sinner. You are upright. With me there is an abundance of sin. In you is the fullness of righteousness. Therefore I will remain with you, of whom I can receive, but to whom I may not give.